Good morning again. <clears throat> Jesus told us in the Great Commission to go unto all the world and preach the gospel. He said, make disciples of every nation. Then He said to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then He said to teach them to observe everything that I have commanded. And that's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple does. Our mission here, what we're trying to accomplish is making disciples. Um, I don't want you to just get into a religion I want you to be in a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to follow Him. I want you to learn to model your life after Him. Not because that's what we must do to be saved. No, we are saved by faith alone. However, if you are truly born again, that means that the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Ultimately, there is a new heart inside of you that desires to be pleasing to God in Christ Jesus. You hate your sin. You you want to put off your sin. You want to fight your sin. You want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to accomplish in this building. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we do Sunday school. That's why we do Wednesday night. That's why we do everything that we do is because... We are disciples of Jesus Christ and we are teaching you to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Now with that being said, that includes things like fasting. (laughs) And I've already heard some of your testimonies. Um, Some of you said, um, you know, I I really would have liked to have avoided that message altogether. I told one of them this morning, I said, well, you're going to get to hear it again, brother. (laughs) And then there are others that have have told me out of their own mouths that, they, that their flesh just struggles with the thought of even fasting. And you know, I want to tell you something. That should be evidence to you of how important it must be to the spirit man. Because why in the world would the flesh hate it and fight against it so bad? It, it, it's kind of like I was talking last week. If you want to be healthy as far as physically then you need to be able to be disciplined to sometimes get up, go to the gym in the morning, or get up and go for a walk, or get up and go for a run, or get up and do your exercise bike. There is some form of discipline that has to be in your life. And it's not easy to do. You have to get yourself in the habit, and you have to stay in that habit. And it is a fight for you to stay in that habit. And anything that is good for you is a fight, right? Requires discipline. The things that are not good for you, they come so easy. You don't have to put no effort for it to do it. And so when you think about things like fasting or you think about even prayer, how many of you would be honest with me this morning and say, you find it difficult a lot of times to pray. You find it difficult to maintain a lifestyle of prayer. You want to know why that is? Because your flesh knows that that's not good for the flesh. The reason why your flesh fights against fasting so much is because deep down your flesh knows that this is something that is not good for the flesh, but it is good for the spirit. 
And this is exactly what Jesus told His disciples whenever He asked them to pray along with Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Y'all remember that? He said, stay here and pray with me because His Spirit was exceedingly troubled even unto death, it said. And He just needed somebody to pray with Him. But whenever He came back, where did He find those disciples? What were they doing? They were over dead asleep. And you remember He looked at them and He said something. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And how many of you know that is most of our problem in our Christian walk? The reason why we struggle so bad to be disciples of Jesus Christ is because the spirit is willing. I have a heart and a mind that wants to. I desire it with everything in me, but there is this flesh inside of me that fights against it all the time. Can I get a witness on that, anybody? And so we need tools, we need disciplines in our life that can help us to train the Spirit so that the Spirit is strong and the flesh is what it's weak. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish in this study of the spiritual discipline of fasting. Um, I did have a handout and an outline for you. I'm not doing like I normally do of going through a particular uh, book of the Bible and just taking it verse by verse and going through it. I'm actually trying to develop more of a, a doctrine of fasting or a theology of a study of fasting, if you will, what the whole Bible has to say about it. And so we're going to be looking this week at how to fast. That's going to be our focus of it. But I want to remind you that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, look what Paul said about training. He said, "...have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths..." And he's talking about the teachings that were false of do this to be saved and do that and do this. Forget all that. Instead, rather train yourself. If you're going to do something, train yourself for godliness. Make sure you have training in your life that is moving you toward godliness. Alright? Go to verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. So bodily training, it is of some value, absolutely. It, it, matter of fact, when, I go to, when we go to Guatemala and we have to carry stuff up those mountains, or even we ain't carrying nothing, we're just walking up those mountains to a house. I can tell you real quick, even for the spiritual things, bodily training is of some value. You get to walking up them hills, and they're not even that steep of hills, honestly. Some of them are. But you get about a quarter of the way up it and you're going... (gasps) And you look over there and these little Guatemalan guys are looking at you going, what's the problem? And all you can do is look back and go, me fat. (laughs) Me fat. And that translates in any language, okay? But bodily exercise and bodily training is of some value. And... It will help you in many areas in your life. However, what he says next is godliness and training in godliness is of value in every way. Not just a few ways, not just a temporary way, every way. So whatever effort somebody would put into bodily exercise, they ought to put that and more into godliness because that is where the real value is. Why, Paul? Because it holds a promise. There's a promise in godliness and training in it. And the promise is for this present life. And the reason why it's for this present life is because if you see godliness coming 
uh, alive inside of you and you're able to look at the evidence of Jesus Christ being in your life, that's confidence, y'all. I'm so thankful that even though there are many times that I question whether or not I even know God sometimes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And yet, I can look at my life and I can say, I'm not where I once was. I can see the work of Jesus in my life. How can I see it? Because I see the training in godliness. I see myself becoming more like Him day after day after day. Do I stumble? Do I fall? Yes, absolutely. But I see the evidence that Christ is in me. And as a result of that, the training in godliness holds a promise for this present life and also for the life to come. I know that according to His Word, when I see that evidence, I can make my call and my election sure. And I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that His promise for eternal life for me is true and it's coming. And then go to verse 9. This saying is trustworthy. What saying? That training in godliness is of value in every way. This is a trustworthy saying. And it is deserving of full acceptance. And look at verse 10. For to this end, what do we do? How many of you know that training in godliness is hard work? It's laborious activity. If you really believe that you're growing in Christ-likeness, but all you're doing is just getting up and just showing up for church but there is no war inside of you, there is no desire to know Him more, there is no practice and lifestyle of prayer and other spiritual disciplines in your life, I'm sorry to tell you this, you're missing it. You're missing the mark. We toil is what Paul said. To this end, we toil and we strive. And listen again, I'm not talking about working for your salvation, All right. I'm telling you that the evidence that you have been born again is that you labor and you toil toward what He has already declared you to be. You are already godly. You are already holy, even as a sinner. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed or applied to you and the sin of your life has been imputed and applied to the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. And that great exchange that took place, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And as a result of that, I have a new heart and I have a new mind. And I toil and I strive for godliness, not because I have to earn my salvation now, but because that's what I want to be. Because that's what He has declared me to be. Are you all with me this morning? And because He has declared me to be holy, and He has declared me to be His child, and He has declared me to be blameless, I toil and I strive toward that end. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So this is toll. This is labor. I want you to understand that. When I talk to you about fasting and you ask me, say, Preacher, is it going to be hard? You better believe it's going to be hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be hard. And if fasting for you ain't hard, you need to find something else to fast and another way to fast because you ain't doing it right. All right? Fasting is difficult. Fasting is hard. Prayer is difficult. For me, 
I don't know if it is for you or not. Maybe it's just a walk in the park for you. Prayer and maintaining a lifestyle of prayer is difficult for me. It's a fight. It's a struggle. But it's something that I know I need in my life because I cannot continue to grow in godliness without the discipline of prayer in my life. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 28 for another example of this. <clears throat> Paul says, Jesus, we proclaim. In other words, we shout the gospel message everywhere. And here's how we do it. We warn everyone because there is no gospel without the warning of what it means to be a sinner. So in the gospel and in the proclamation of Jesus, we warn everyone and we teach everyone with all wisdom. Why do you do this, Paul? Why do you warn sinners even when they're already saved? Why do you teach everyone? Because they're already saved. So, I mean, really, all they got to do is believe, right, Paul? And look what Paul will say next. No, we do it that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Part of my reward will be when I'm able to present you, when I'm able to present you to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, here's your bride. She once was filthy, dirty, sinful mess. But by your blood and by the power of your Holy Spirit and by your wisdom and by your teaching, she has beautified herself. And we present her mature to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, that is a reward for each and every one of us. Now that's just me. We do it together though. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 4. As each part does its share, what happens Kirby? Growth occurs as each part does its share. And so we all will be rewarded for the work we play in each other's life to warn each other, to teach each other with all wisdom so that we all may be able to present each other mature in Christ Jesus. And then go to verse 29. For to this, what does Paul do? This is hard work, guys. This is a struggle. This is difficult. But for this I toil. I am, you think, you think I do this for the money? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I can work more, I can work right now, I work all the overtime I want at my job where pretty much for the most part if I want to, I can just kick the recliner back and watch the thing run, alright? Just being real with you. <laughs> Some people know. But I do this because I believe what the Bible teaches. I do this because I know that one day we have to stand before Him and give an account. And I want to stand before Him as a child of His that has trusted Him by faith, that has grown in godliness, that has toiled and struggled with not my energy, because how many of you know I can't do it? I don't toil and struggle with my energy, but the Apostle says, to this I toil, struggling with all whose? His energy. That He powerfully works in me. 
I am taking the tools that He has given me, His Holy Spirit, His gifts of fasting, His disciplines of prayer. I'm taking these gifts that He's given me and I am letting Him work in me powerfully because He has promised that what He started in me, what will He do? He's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. And so yes, when I talk to you about fasting this morning, I want you to know it is difficult. It is toll. It is labor. It is striving. It takes energy, but the good news is He provides the energy. It takes power working in you, but the good news is He powerfully works in you. And so when we talk about that this morning, I want you to understand it is difficult. It is hard. But it is something that if you will train yourself in godliness, God will finish the work that He started in you. Everybody with me this morning? Alright. So, last week we saw that fasting is used throughout the Bible to train in this goal of godliness. And we saw that Jesus fasted. We saw that the early church fasted. We saw that Jesus taught that we should fast. He taught how we should fast. And so, whenever we looked at it, we saw that the Bible taught that fasting is a tool that helps us to restrain the flesh. It's like spiritual weightlifting. It's like telling the flesh, no, you don't get to make demands of what you want. God makes demands of what He wants. He is more important than you are. And the more you exercise that, the stronger you get at telling your flesh, no. And how many of you struggle telling your flesh no? And so fasting would be a pretty good exercise for you, right? Alright. Another thing we saw is that fasting was used in times of great trials as a way to strengthen our prayers. Fasting was like um, the difference between um, Austin, my son, taking a baseball and hitting it, and he can hit it pretty good, and then Babe Ruth taking the baseball. If Babe Ruth is behind that thing, where's that ball going? If Austin is behind it at his age and his size, the ball's not going near as far as it would as somebody else. Fasting does the same thing with our prayers. It's like putting Babe Ruth behind your prayers. And it strengthens your prayers. And so, and we'll see that in the Scriptures this morning. But we're going to learn, take a little deeper look into that, and then we're going to look at what the Bible says about how to fast. So on your outline, you'll notice the question I ask is, how did they fast in the Bible? Because that's what we want to know, Lord. How do we do it so that... Because in Isaiah 58, you remember what they said? They said, Lord, why have we fasted and you've not heard? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not answered our prayers? And God told them, fasting the way that you do will not make your voice to be heard on high. So in other words, there is a right way to fast so that it actually strengthens your prayers and there is a wrong way to fast so that it don't accomplish anything spiritually in your life. And so we want to make sure that we do it the way that the Bible teaches to do it. The first note on your outline, it says... By taking normally good fleshly pleasures away for a time, and this would usually be food in the Bible. They didn't have social media and TV and all this other stuff back then. And so typically food was the one that they took away from. And they used that time to draw near to God. Look with me at Daniel chapter 10, verse 2 through 3. See one example of it. In those days I, Daniel, was in mourning for three weeks. 
So for 21 days, I ate no delicacies, or some other versions say pleasurous food. And so he took away food that brought his flesh pleasure. It's kind of like this. I'm a carnivore. You put Brussels sprouts in front of me, I'm not really a happy guy. But you put a 20 ounce ribeye in front of me, medium rare, got a little fat on the edges, good marbling in the middle, mm-mm, somebody said amen. That's, that's what I like. And so you got these things that are pleasurous for you to eat, and then you got things that you can eat that you can live by, but you don't find much pleasure in it. And for Daniel, he made a decision that while he was seeking the Lord on a particular vision that he saw and a message that he got that he didn't understand, and he wanted understanding. And so he sought the Lord through fasting to strengthen those prayers, to seek God with all of his heart, to humble himself before God. And he says, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. In other words, he didn't give his flesh any type of pleasure so that it was comforted in any way. But instead, he used that time to seek the Lord. That was the point that he was trying to make in this. So, fasting is a time when normally good fleshing pleasures, because there was nothing wrong with eating the meat and the wine that was in this place. But instead, he saw this as an opportunity to deny the flesh and to pursue God during this time, to seek God with all of his heart, to humble himself during this time. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 through 5, we see that it is not always food. Look at this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Y'all know what I'm talking about here. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. That'd be nice if we could just stop right there, but we can't. Likewise... The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does too. Now remember, the two became one, right? And so they are no longer two, but they are one body. But look what he says next. Do not deprive one another of what? Of these conjugal rights. Except, perhaps, by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then... Come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here again, we're looking at the point of one of the ways that God gave us as human beings to control our sexual immorality. For the sake of sexual immorality, Paul says a man should marry a woman. Now, if he can control it and he has no problem with that, then he says it's better for him to just stay single and serve the Lord. But... In order to do this, he says a man and a woman shouldn't deprive themselves from each other, but they are to help each other to stay sexually pure in this situation. But then he moves on to the point to where he says that if you do deprive one another of that, you only do it for a limited time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, this is a time of fasting, a normally good 
a fine fleshly pleasure. However, it is a time that we put that aside, we deny ourselves that, and we devote that time to the Lord, to God. And so basically we say, God, I desire You and I want to know You more than I desire my daily food, as Job would have said. I can't remember the scripture in the verse, but the chapter and verse. But Job said that. He said, I desire Him more than my daily food, my daily bread. Or you say, God, I desire You more. I desi- desire to spend time with You more than I even desire to spend time in conjugal rights with my spouse. That's saying a lot, right? And so we have to understand that fasting is a time that we take away normally good fleshly pleasures for the purpose of devoting that time to seek after God, to know Him more. And the Bible says that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. God does not reward aimless people. When you have an aim in your heart, you remember what He told Jeremiah? He said, you will seek Me and you will find Me when you seek Me with what? With all your heart. God does not reward half-hearted people. But for those that will come to God with a heart that says, God, I want to know You more. I want to be closer to You than I care for food, than I care for sex, than I care for TV, than I care for social media. Whatever the case may be, there are so many different things. Anything that you delight in that might exert more influence on your life than God, that's a good thing to fast from. Now you can't fast from sinful things. No, that's something you ought to repent from. And repentance and fasting, although they can be connected at the hip, they are two different things. Okay? Repentance is turning away from sin. Fasting is setting aside normally good fleshly pleasures to use that time to go after God, to want to know Him more, to spend time with Him. And so that's what we see in this. So again, it could be uh, from food, it could be uh, from sex, it could be social media, it could be TV, it could even be reading books, I mean, anything that you would normally spend your time with. Maybe it's um, hunting or fishing. You know, I used to be one of those that it was very easy for me to get off work at 7 o'clock in the morning, because I worked third shift way back in, and I would get off work and go straight to the woods and get in a deer stand and sit in a deer stand till 1, 2, sometimes all day. It was very easy for me to do that. You know why? Because I loved it. Now, is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. I can take you scriptures to show you that I don't think there's anything wrong with it. However, if that is something that exerts more influence on my life than my desire for God, would you agree that that's something that would be a good fast for me? If I can stay up to spend time in the woods, and a lot of people say, well, that's where I'm closest to God is in the woods. No, that's where you're closest to a tree. Did God make that tree? Yes, God made that tree. 
But being close to God is when you seek Him in His Word. When you seek Him to know His truth. When you seek Him to see what He would say about your life that doesn't belong and the things that you need to put off and the things you need to put on and you draw near to God. And the promise of God is this. If you will draw near to God, you remember what James said? Draw near to God and He will what? And so again, God rewards seeking Him. And fasting is a way to do that. And so there are many different fleshly pleasures that you could look at and say, even though normally I would spend this time doing this, I am going to sacrifice this, and I am going to spend this time seeking Him, talking to Him, listening to Him from His Word. And we're going to practice some of that for those of you that want to do this. I'm not trying to force anybody. But for those of you that want to, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you uh, uh, tips on how we're going to do this and days we're going to do this. And I'm going to send out some devotions that will help you during this time to at least get you started. But still, no matter what it is, maybe it's your social media that you decide to. How many of you would be honest this morning and say, usually the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you pick up your phone and you look at how many notifications you have. Come on, somebody be honest with me. You pick up your phone and you see how, I see y'all pointing at everybody else in here. Or you pick up your phone and that's the first thing you pick up in the morning and maybe it's not a social media app, but maybe it's something else on your phone that you pick up. But for a lot of people, maybe a good thing for you to do would be to just remove the social media app for a while and then here's what you would do with that. Whenever you pick it up and you realize it's not there, that would be a reminder to you that I'm fasting this and now I'm going to spend this time that I normally would have took to look through this and to scroll through everybody's junk that they got going on in their life that's all fake anyway. <coughs> and uh, that's right, I said it. <coughs> and I'm going to take that time and I am going to look at what the Word of God says, I'm going to spend some time with God, I'm going to pray to God. And again, when we do things like that, I really believe the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Or maybe it's the TV. Maybe for you, the first thing you do is get up in the morning, you turn the news on or something. You want to see what Good Morning America is saying or, or whoever, or Tucker, whoever it is. If my wife, she's all about Tucker Carlson. So um, whoever it is, maybe you just unplug the TV. And then, what are you going to naturally do? Because it's your habit. You're going to come in and pick up the remote, right? Even though you've told yourself, I'm going to fast from this, you're still going to forget and pick it up. And so you pick up the remote, but you've unplugged the TV. So when you hit the button, what's happening? Nothing. And then you remember, oh yeah, that's right. I'm fasting this. And then you spend that time seeking the Lord and, and going after the Lord during that. So that's just one way that they fasted in the Bible, and that is the main way, by taking normally good fleshly pleasures away for a time and making sure you use that time to draw near to God. The next uh, thing we see in the Bible is they fasted in order to express humility and grief for the sin in your life. I mean, I, like I told you before, I hate my sin. Somebody ought to amen that. I hate my sin. And I like to have ways to express to God 
my hatred for my sin and my love and my desire for Him. And this was a way that God gave in the Bible to be able to express that. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. God says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. What does that tell you about where they were? They were away from Him without their heart, right? Return to me with all your heart and do it how? With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Notice he said there, back in this day and time, one way to express it was they would take their garments and they would rip their garments as a way to express this grief that they felt. And here he says, I don't care about your outward expression of doing that. I want you to fast and rend your heart. I want your heart to be ripped for your sin. I want you to come to me because the Bible tells us that the kind of person that God dwells with is the person of a broken heart, a person of a humble heart, a contrite heart, a person that knows that God, I am nowhere near where I need to be with you, but I so want to be there. And that kind of heart that expresses it, I really believe God rewards that. So He says, return to me, your God. Why? Because He is gracious. <laughs> when you come to fast, and I'm not telling you to stay there in your grief and your sorrow. I'm saying you come to God in that expression and in that attitude of your heart, but you come to Him knowing that He is gracious. You come to Him knowing that He is merciful, that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and that He relents over disaster. This is not something that He wants for you. And you know, whenever I come to God and I know this about Him, this makes me want to praise Him while I'm there. God, thank You that You are gracious. God, thank You that You are merciful. God, thank You that You are slow to anger because if You weren't slow to anger, You should have destroyed me before I woke up this morning. Thank You that You are abounding in steadfast love. Thank You that You relent over disaster. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6. Another example of this. So they gathered at Mizpah and they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted on that day. And this is what they said while they fasted. We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And you could go back and read the rest of that if you want to. But the point is this. Fasting is connected to expressing grief and humility for our sinfulness. And you know, that's one thing that I don't think we do anymore. We so take the grace of God for granted that you and I just get up every day and we don't even worry about confessing our sin. We don't even worry about having a broken heart over our sin. We don't even worry about coming to God with the confession that says, God, we have sinned against You. And yet fasting is a practice for you to be able to do that. To be able to proclaim and express in confession before God that, God, I'm a sinner. And I don't want to sin against you. I hate my sin. I want to draw near to you. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. And I'm coming back to you. Why God? Because you're gracious. Because you're merciful. 
because you are abounding in steadfast love. And I'm coming back to you to experience all of those, God. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. <clears throat> Jonah 3, verse 5 through 8 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Now sackcloth in this day was kind of like what we would call a toe sack or a tater sack. All right? it, was a, it was real coarse goat hair. And it was a very uncomfortable thing to wear. And it was, again, it was a way for them to express. Now God would say to them, if you want to do that, that's fine, but I'd rather you actually be broken in your heart, not just put on a sackcloth and not actually be broken. The sackcloth is meant to express what's actually taking place in your heart as a sinner. And so they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes, because ashes were the garbage dump, is basically what it was. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Now this was a complete fast in this. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way. Now notice that. They're humbling themselves and they're expressing this brokenness for their sin, but in the process of it, they're seeking God. They're crying out to God. They're calling out to God. And then let everyone turn from his evil way Again, because repentance is connected to fasting as well. So again, in this fasting, you are to be examining yourself. You are to be seeing the areas to where you fall short in godliness and in holiness and in righteousness. And you are to be coming to Him in brokenness for that and turning away from those things and from the violence that's in His hands. We'll move on to the next. So Jesus taught His disciples... That when you fast, He didn't say if you fast, right? He said when you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees do. They disfigure their face. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. And when you fast, not if, when, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So again, there's a reward in fasting, right? And that's next week, the rewards of fasting. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what Jesus taught us. So there is a way for you to do it. Mainly, you do it because you're coming to God. You're not just doing it so that everybody in the church can see what you're doing. However, there is also such a thing as corporate fast. There's a time when the church comes together and fasts together for specific direction or for maybe a trial or something that's going on in the church. But for the most part, fasting is something that is done because God is the rewarder of the one who diligently seeks them. 
And so fasting should be a time of heartfelt confession, heartfelt repentance from sin, and a time where you draw near unto God. Next in your outline, by seeking God and drawing near to Him. So again, following up on the last one. It's a time that you not just express sorrow and grief for sin, but you draw near to Him. You seek Him with everything in you. And that was the problem in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3 through 7 again. Whenever they were fasting, they asked God, they said, God, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Go to that verse for me if you don't mind. Isaiah 58, verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? In other words, where's our reward, God? I've been fasting for this. Where's the reward at? Why have we humbled ourselves? Again, that's how they expressed it. And you take no knowledge of it. And here's God's answer. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. So in other words, you may be abstaining from food in some way, but you're not drawing near to God. You're not seeking the Lord in it. This is just a ritual for you. This is just something. You just went on a diet. That's all you did. And so he says here, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. In other words, in their particular case, instead of drawing closer to God, they were remaining in their sin. Instead of seeking the Lord and turning away from their sin, they were just going further into sin. And then in verse 4, go with me to the next verse. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. In other words, their fasting, all it did was brought on frustration for them. They took it out on their workers and they took it out. How many of you get a little hangry? Well, when you're fasting, hangry really probably shouldn't be the result of it. You ought to be repenting from that and turning away from that. If you're drawing near to God, should you be getting angry? No, if you're drawing near to God, you should be getting humble. Right? And so here he says, the problem with your fast is you're not drawing near to me. You're only fasting to continue in sin. You expect God to reward that? No. And he says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. What does that tell you about fasting? Fasting strengthens prayer, right? Fasting puts you in a place to where when you are drawing near to God, He's drawing near to you. And you are being heard by God. Probably better than you've ever been heard. And then in verse 5, keep going with me through the next verse. Is such the fast that I chose a day for a person to humble himself? In other words, do you think the fast I chose is just a day for you to put sackcloth on and sit in ashes? Do you think that's the point? No, that's not the point. Is it a day for you to just bow down your head and give outward expressions? No. And to spread sackcloth and ashes under Him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? But in verse 6, look what he says next. Is not this the fast that I chose? So here's what the fast should do. It should loose the bonds of wickedness. You are to becoming less wicked, less sinful, less evil, and you are to be drawing closer to God in it. Correct? And then he says, you are to be undoing the straps of the yoke. Things that hold you in bondage. 
You got sin in your life that you just can't whip? Here's your answer. This is your answer. He says, the fast that I chose is to undo the straps of the yoke. And it is to let the oppressed go free. And it is to break every yoke when fasting is done the way that it is supposed to be done. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? So in your fasting, if you are drawing near to God, shouldn't you have a heart of love toward others? But instead, they were fighting with wicked fists and they were hangry and they were um, quarreling and everything else. And so here he says here, in order to make you share your bread with the hungry, in order to make you bring the homeless poor, in order to make you a compassionate person, you know it? And he says here, when you see the naked, it ought to make you cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So fasting ought to be a time that you seek after God. And if you do this, a change ought to be taking place in your life. The next point, by fasting for a spiritual purpose. Fasting in the Bible is always done with a spiritual purpose. And let's look at a few of those. Don Whitney writes, and I gave you, I gave you this book, it's all about spiritual disciplines. I highly recommend it, alright? But it's called uh, Spiritual Disciplines in the Life of a Christian, I believe is what it is called. But he writes this, he said, Without a spiritual purpose for your fast, it's just weight loss. He reminds us that having a biblical purpose for your fast may be the single most important concept to take from this chapter in his book. In real life, here's how it works. As you are fasting and your head aches or your stomach growls and you think, I'm hungry. Well, your next thought should be, and I'm fasting for this purpose. This is why I'm fasting. And so here are some of the purposes. Do you desire to strengthen prayer? Look with me at Ezra chapter 8 verse 23. Ezra chapter 8 verse 23. He says, so we fasted and implored our God for this. And what happened? Maybe there's something in your life that you have been praying so hard about. You ever had something in your life to where you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you kept praying? This is one of those times where fasting would be a good purpose during this time. Now, I'm not telling you that fasting is always going to force God's hand and make Him do whatever it is that you're asking for. But I am telling you that God does reward fasting. Are y'all hearing me on that? And so, as in this case, we fasted and implored our God, and what happened? He listened. He answered their prayer. Their voice was heard on high. And then I can show you another example. Look with me at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. David had a kid sick. And God had already told him through the prophet that the kid was going to die. But even still, David knew that God just might he just might, listen, and he just might save this child. So how did David go after God in the hopes of that child might live? David therefore sought God on behalf of the child and David fasted. 
And he went in and lay all night on the ground. Therefore, David sought the Lord on behalf of this child. Still, the point is this. If you want strength in your prayers, fasting is a good option for you. Fasting is a very good option for you. Next, the purpose could be seeking the Lord's guidance in something. Maybe you've got a decision you've got to make. Maybe there is a direction. You need to know which way to go in your life. Or maybe you need to know how to guide one of your kids. Or I don't know what the case may be. But have you ever been in a place in your life to where you needed wisdom and you need, you need guidance? You need to figure out what to do or how to respond. Fasting is a way to be able to accomplish that. Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now this was when the church was trying to decide how are we going to get the gospel from Jerusalem, or from Antioch in this case, out to Greece and out to Rome and out to all the parts of the world because Jesus has told us, go unto where? All the world and preach the gospel. How are we going to do that? That's a pretty big task, right? And so how did they figure out this wisdom? How did they get this guidance? They got together and they did two things. They fasted and they prayed. And when they fasted and they prayed, they laid their, the, Holy, the Bible tells us before that, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Set apart for me Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them to. And then they set their hands on them. Look at this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Go back to it, buddy. I'm sorry. These media guys struggle with me, I'm telling you. <clears throat> but they do good work. Go back to verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I'm sorry, you were right the first time. <laughs> Y'all doing good, guys. Y'all doing great, alright? <clears throat> While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, You ever needed the Lord to just speak to you? There's somebody in here right now that you're in that place in your life right now. You just need the Lord to just speak to you about something. You need some direction. Notice it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, and the next verse tells us they were praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So when you need spiritual guidance, that is another time to fast. And you fast for that purpose. God, this is why I'm fasting. I need your direction. I need your guidance. I need you to, to point me in the right direction here. And you fast and you continue to fast. And then in uh, Daniel chapter 9, we see again to express grief and humility. I'm not going to go through there because I've already showed you some. Or maybe you need deliverance or protection. Look at Esther chapter 4 verse 16. And here the Jews were about to be um, annihilated in this situation. And Esther is a queen now, but she knows that if she goes to the king to try to ask for mercy on the Jews, that it will mean her life. She will die for going into the presence of the king without him calling her. And here's what she tells them. Go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, 
I perish. How did she seek the protection of God for protection that she needed? She fasted and she asked people to fast with her. Y'all see where I'm getting this? There is a purpose in your fast. And without a spiritual purpose, then it's not really a fast. Another one would be to express repentance and return to God. So if you, maybe you, you have some sin in your life that you know you need to repent from and turn back to God from, that would be a good way to fast and pour your heart out to God about your brokenness for it and your desire to turn back to Him. Or maybe you just want to humble yourself before God. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself. And how did he do it? With fasting. Since you humbled yourself before the Lord your God, your words have what? Have been heard. And I have come because of your words. So maybe that's it. Maybe you just want to humble yourself before God. And then look at, um, uh, think about Jesus in the wilderness. What did Jesus do to prepare to overcome temptation that was coming His way? He fasted. He prayed. Forty days and forty nights. Or maybe you just want to express love and worship to God above your fleshly pleasures. This is what Anna did in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 37. The Bible says, There was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, and of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. It was just a way to express her worship. And she expressed her desire for God even more than normally good things in life. And she would take times to be able to fast and to pray in her worship in those things. So here's the point. If you're going to go into fasting, plan ahead for whatever your purpose is going to be. Plan on what you are fasting for. And make sure that every time that you feel the hunger pain, or every time you pick up the remote, or every time you pick up the phone, or whatever the case may be, when that happens, your response is, Oh, I'm fasting, and I'm fasting for this purpose and you move in that purpose, whatever it would be. Tips for fasting. We'll go through these quickly. Tips for fasting. Fasting can be done partially or completely. Again, Daniel just abstained from meat and wine. He ate vegetables and he drank water. And maybe that would be a good fast for you. Just a partial fast of some kind. Or maybe a complete fast is better. A fast where... Now, now I'm not telling you to go on a 40-day fast, okay? That's a supernatural fast, alright? There ain't but two people ever done that and, and lived through it. You know who they are? Jesus and Moses, alright? 40 days fa- uh, uh, without food and, and water or anything else, day and night. And let me tell you something, I've, only, I've heard of people trying it, and I've heard of people making it so many days, but you're not going to live very many days without water, and fasting is not meant to kill the body. Fasting is meant to put the flesh in its place. That's it, alright? So, fasting can be a complete fast, but maybe it's only a day. Maybe it's only 
three days in some cases. And we'll get to the times here in a minute. But it could be a partial fast, it could be a complete fast, it could be a private fast, or it could be a corporate fast. Like for instance, us as a pastor search committee. Be a good time to be fasting, amen? Be a good time for us to be fasting and praying together as a group, seeking the Lord on direction of who He would put as another under-shepherd or another um, overseer in this congregation. And so that's a, that's a good thing to do corporately, but also private fast as well. And then for any length of time, again, it could be a single meal. It could be a single day. It could be three days. It could be 21 days of a partial fast. It could be a juice only, whatever the case may be, that you could take away a true fleshly pleasure, a desire on your part, and you could spend that time seeking the Lord, humbling yourself before Him, and for whatever spiritual purpose that you need in that particular time. And you can find those. I gave you some scriptures for that. The next tip, don't go too big too fast. Don't go too big too fast. Today is not the day to start a 21-day fast. Unless you're pretty accustomed to it. Um, but I would say, start small. Maybe this week, and this is what I would call us to. Maybe this week on Tuesday and Thursday. That's what I'll do if you'd like to join me. Maybe on Tuesday and Thursday you skip lunch. You just skip lunch. And whatever time you would normally spend with your lunch, you spend that time humbling yourself before God. You spend that time seeking God. You spend that time hearing from God, worshiping God. Or maybe there's another purpose for you that you would fast for. I gave you a list of purposes on your notes that you have. And so you look through those biblical purposes and see if one fits your needs for this time. But still, the point being is that maybe this Tuesday and Thursday, we take those days to just skip a meal. Skip a single meal. Maybe for you it's breakfast. Maybe I'm not a breakfast person. For me, if I were to get up and fast breakfast, that don't mean nothing to me. <laughs> I don't eat breakfast no way. Now, I, I, got, I like my coffee. And so, if I had to fast my coffee, yeah, that, that'd be a pretty good fast for me, personally. But it may not be for you. You see what I'm saying? You have to be able to determine what that fast would be that would truly set the flesh aside to seek the Lord with everything in you. But don't go too big, uh, too fast. Just, just start small and then work your way up. And then plan what you're going to do to draw near. I'm going to send a devotion out on Tuesday. Or I may do it Monday night. I may send it out Monday night. But I'll send a little devotion for you and some questions to ask that hopefully will lead you into worship. Kind of like that scripture I took up a minute ago that said, Return to me with all your heart, for I am gracious, I am merciful. And I may send you that scripture and ask you the question, what does this teach you about God? Well, what does it teach you about God? God is gracious. What does that mean to you? Does that give you a reason to worship Him? It better. What does it mean to you that God is merciful? What does it mean to you that He is, that he is constant in His steadfast love? And so, whatever I send you, I may have some questions behind it to help direct your mind so that you're either examining yourself and confessing sin, or it gives you a prayer to pray, or it gives you something to worship God about, but it gives you that time to just spend time seeking God and denying the flesh 
and that's a good starting point for us, alright? When you fast, and when it's over, don't overindulge in whatever you were fasting. <laughs> you know, it's so easy. Let's say you decided to fast for three days. Complete fast. Maybe water only. At the end of that three days, what's your belly doing? Screaming, not growling. Your belly screaming. And the first thing you want to do is find an all-you-can-eat buffet. You know what I'm saying? And I've done that. I wish I had time to tell you my old stories of fasting at some of the stupid things I've done when the fast was over. Eight whole boxes, 12 packs of vanilla ice cream sandwiches. Just <laughs> I'm talking about... And you know, think about it. And listen, that was 20 years ago, okay? <laughs> I was learning. But still, the point is this. If after the end of your fast, all you do is just indulge that flesh again, what did you do? You, you really just, you canceled it out, right? So after your fast is over, go back into it slowly again. Go to your next meal and eat portion controlled. Um, that'd be a good thing for us to learn how to do anything, right? Amen. <clears throat> so, when your fast is over, don't, don't overindulge in whatever you are fasting. Fast until the purpose is served. Fast until the purpose is served. Whatever purpose it is. If you're needing guidance, maybe you fast lunch every day until you get the guidance or until God answers your question. And go back and read that where David was praying for his child. The Bible says that he didn't get up from his fast day or night until the child finally died. And then he got up, he washed his face, and he went and sat down at a meal. And they came to him and they said, we don't understand. What, what, what happened? You were grieving and you were fasting. And David said, listen, while the child was still alive, who knew if God might hear the prayer and actually change his mind? But now that the child is gone, in other words, the purpose is served. And so the fast is over. You see what I'm saying? That's the length of time that determines how long you fast. And so fast until the purpose is served or until God answers. And I gave you a few examples there. Fast occasionally on a regular basis. Maybe you just need to exercise the spirit and weaken the flesh. Maybe your flesh needs to learn what no means. And if that's the case, that's a good purpose to, flat, uh, to, to fast for. And maybe that's just every so many days. The early church fasted twice a week. And so maybe that's something that, that, that would be healthy for you to begin as well. And so anyway, fast until the purpose is served. In closing, uh, i got to say this. Hold on. Fast until your physical health is truly failing. Again, fasting is not to kill the body. All right? Let me show you an example. Acts chapter 27, verse 33 through 36. This is my last one, I promise. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all. They were in a, on a shipwreck fixing to go down, and they were fasting. And Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. But then look what happens. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. 
Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. So you see the point that I'm making? The point is that if you fast, it's not to kill you. If you're fasting and you're destroying your body, there are some people in here that medically diabetic. You, you got, you're going to have to figure out some different ways to fast. I'm not saying you're exempt, Ronnie. <laughs> I'm not saying you're exempt. But I am saying that there is some precautions that he needs to take because fasting is not meant to kill the body. Fasting is meant to deny the flesh and to seek God. And so those are some tips for fasting. That's how they fasted in the Bible. Those are the purposes they fasted for. This week, I'm going to encourage you that, again, on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm just giving you some direction. If you don't want to take that, I'm not going to ask you. I'm not even going to try to make you feel bad about it if you don't. This is something that if you want a discipline that can help you to establish godliness in your life, I believe I've proven to you from the Scriptures that this will do it. This will help. And so I encourage you to fast with us and figure out how you're going to fast. If you have questions that you need answered, call me, uh, text me, whatever the case may be. I'll be glad to help you through it. But just remember this, and this is my closing. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He promises that when we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. And so I pray that when you fast, you will fast with a heart for the Lord, and you will have a reward from the Father. Whatever that may be is up to Him, but you better believe it will be rewarded. That's His Word, and He cannot lie.